19, starting at verse 97, we'll read to 104. Mem, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. And that's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So Psalm 118 is uh, today's reading because we've been following the Revised Common Lectionary, which we don't use the entire set of readings each Sunday, but I pick the one that feels like the one we should visit to uh, with. And, and uh, Psalm 119 really touched me because of its deep expression of love for the Word of God. Now, we've talked about this before. The Word with a capital W, in my best definition, is the heart and mind of God. It's the expression of God's nature, the very intent behind the things of God. Um, therefore, when we're really tied into the Word of God, it's like being familiar with the words of an old friend that I've known for many, many years. I will recognize the sort of things he would say, and I'll recognize the sort of things he would never say. And this is what we've been, well, a lot of what we've been discussing all summer long is knowing what God would agree to and what God would not agree to. And it comes from internalizing the word of God in the way that this psalmist would have us do, that we would love the word of God, that we would love listening to God speak. And you know, God speaks all the time, right? You hear God's voice all the time. You may not recognize it, and there are different reasons that we can kind of apply to that, you know, why don't I recognize it? But but one way I know for sure that you can recognize God's voice is to familiarize yourself with the things that God says. And that's why we read the Bible. That's why we study scripture together. That's all part of our vision for uh, uh, reading. Like when we read the whole Bible in 90 days, you know, we've done that B90 thing, Don, uh, here too. We did it back uh, in Sullivan many years ago. And, and it always gets people going with their Bible reading in a way that they never did before. And of course, the thing that's easier now than it was back then, uh, almost 20 years ago, is uh, everybody was able to listen on their smartphone. And, and so if you weren't someone that could sit and read 12 pages of scripture without falling asleep, you know, or, or getting distracted, then you could listen to the word of God. And I actually think it's meant to be a spoken word. I, I think that reading it is good, but hearing it is even better. And so you become familiar with the sound of God's voice, and that means that you're more likely to hear God speaking than you would if you weren't familiar with God's voice. The psalmist is saying to us that the law that comes from God's voice is precious. Now, we New Testament believers, we get a little bit 
out of sorts when we think about the law because we think, now wait a minute, if he's talking about being like a Pharisee, then I'm not gonna be excited about that. Well, you know, the problem we have with law is that, uh, well, I don't know, I'm looking at a table full of teenagers. When mom and dad lay down the law, the law doesn't seem like a good thing, does it? You know, but when you wanted to get your driver's license, you liked the law. The law is your friend. In fact, it's freedom. It's liberty. You get to know the law when it serves you in a way like that. So you remember when you were 16 and you wanted to drive in the worst way, or maybe you were 15 and a half and you couldn't wait to get wheels and freedom and you knew that you had to learn the law. You recognized that reading that book, you know, I still have my driver's manual from when I was 16 years old in Pennsylvania, you know. I don't know why I still have it, but I knew it from front to back, and that was like the first test I'd passed in years. (laughs) I was motivated. Yeah, when you're motivated, you love the law. And when I think about how teenagers drive the first six or eight weeks after they get their license, they're some of the safest, most careful drivers out there. And then they get cocky. I keep looking at you guys because you got a whole table full of them, you know, it's like, and they live in my neighborhood, which is why I stay off the streets. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But (laughs) anyway, Now, when you look at the law that way, it's your friend, right? That's the point here. This is what the psalmist is really trying to do. He's trying to say, look, your law makes me feel safe. I know where the boundaries are. I know that you're there like a gentle shepherd keeping me within the boundaries, and that's good. That keeps me safe. It keeps me moving in the right direction. And really, the, the people of the Old Testament law, sure, they were pretty rigid about it and they had their ways. We're gonna talk about that a little more here for a second, but, but just so you understand, Jesus came and said very plainly, I did not come to cancel out the old law. I came to fulfill it and the word of the prophets. So, I mean, we don't wanna think, we don't wanna think that anything we're reading from our Old Testament isn't apply, doesn't apply to us. It does. The difference is that the consequences of not keeping the law and the way that we keep the law is a little different now, thanks to Jesus. It's easier. But when we look at it from the Old Testament point of view, now, like here's some technical information for you. This psalm is the longest one of its kind, and it's an acrostic. Now, there's other acrostic psalms in the uh, in the Bible, and you know, David is credited with a lot of it. David, you know, was their king, and it was a theocracy. So they they have this um, they have this sort of total merging or melding of of the sort of uh, societal government and the religious government, or to put it another way, the secular and the sacred are working together in tandem in, in their culture. And of course it's dicey and it works better with some kings than others. But David is, is in this case, he's establishing something that we don't really understand because we don't come from that background. But 
if you have Muslim friends or if you have other friends of, like in this area, you know, we have people who live in religious communities that we call them Amish, but they're a little more, it's a little more complicated than that, but, but we'll call them Amish or Mennonite. They live in community by a specific set of standards so that there is no separation between their secular and their sacred life. So we all know people in one way or another who have made that decision. And so for them, learning your alphabet is easier if you just go ahead and learn the law of God in the same process. See, so that's what's going on here. This particular acrostic is unique because, um, and by that I mean it's like A, B, C, D, E, F, G. So you say A is for this and B is for that and C is for that and D is for that. Well, this one, a is for eight things, B is for eight things, C is for eight things. So this one's kind of unique because of the way it's structured, but it's still, and what we started with was mem. It's a letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So you don't know you're speaking Hebrew when you read that, but you are. So what's the point? Well, what if you could teach your children to read and write and also teach them about their relationship with God all at the same time? Well, we don't do that in public school, obviously. And we don't do that in the secular world that we live in. And I'm not here to say whether that's good, bad, or otherwise, because I was raised in public school. But it just means that we won't choose to know the word of God as well as we could unless we do it on purpose. And because it's separated from our other learning experiences growing up, a lot of us don't do it on purpose. So there is something to be said for having been raised in a culture where while you're learning everything else you need to know to be successful in life, you're also learning the word of God. So we need church, don't we? We need religious institutions like this one because these are the places where we can teach people the things of God. Anybody here wanna do life God's way? Say amen if you want to do life God's way. Amen. Yeah, good. I just wanted to check and see if you're still with me. You know, most people don't need to go to church unless they feel like this is about learning to do life God's way. I mean, you know, that's, that's the simplest way I know how to explain what we do at church. Now, the problem, as we all know real well from recent experience, is that sometimes church gets corrupt. It gets messed up. And church isn't about doing life God's way. And church even becomes more about doing life the people way. And God forbid, sometimes church figures out how in some twisted way to do life the devil's way. And what's the remedy for that? You've got to focus on the word of God. If you want to stay in a system that perpetuates God's way of doing life, you've got to know God's word. And so, you know, again, we use the driving analogy. If you've traveled abroad, you've probably noticed that you would find it difficult. Even if you're a veteran driver here in the United States, you would find it difficult to drive in foreign countries because some things seem the same, but a lot of things are different. 
And I've never tried. I've never dared to drive in a foreign land. I've always preferred to have local people drive me here and there. And it's a good thing because I'm pretty sure I would be limping for the rest of my life or something if I'd driven. And so my point is, is that if we familiarize ourselves with a corrupt word that isn't from God, it's like trying to drive the American way in Kazakhstan, let's say. Okay, and I can tell you from having traveled in a cab in a busy city in Kazakhstan that that's just insane. It's, it's a wild ride. And so this is why the psalmist is telling us to be in love with the word of God because it's what guides you. I had a guy tell me a story a long time ago that is pretty cool and scary all at the same time. He was flying in Alaska with a pilot uh, brother, he, he, was, he and his brother were flying together in a small airplane in Alaska and they got into a cloud bank. And, you know, in Alaska, people fly below the tops of the mountains all the time. I mean, that's just nothing new. We can't imagine that out here in the prairie where we live. But, but people there, you know, you fly an airplane that might be 2,000 feet off the valley floor, but you still have a thousand foot of mountain looking out your window, right? And they got into a cloud bank and they got scared for a minute because they can't see the mountain now. And they prayed and a voice came over their radio, called their call sign of their plane and said, turn and maintain a heading of, and gave them a number and descend 500 feet. And he just did it, he, you know, like, okay. And as soon as they turned the heading the way they needed to and descended 500 feet, they were below the cloud level, level again, and they were out of danger. And as the story was told to me, they never really asked for help and they weren't using the flight following or whatever, like they didn't know. They don't know who told them to do this. They don't know where their answer came from, but it was exactly the answer they needed. It's a voice that they obeyed instantly because it said exactly what they needed to do. I don't know, maybe it was another aircraft, but it's a fascinating story, but it's a great illustration of how God directs your life when you know what to listen for and you do what you hear. <laughs> so learn the word of God. Now we'll get down to some practical application here. You can learn it the way the psalmists uh, learned it. You can, you can try to memorize passages of scripture. I know people who are really good. At, are you good at that? No, I'm not either. I, I, I've never been good at memorizing, you know, chapters and verses and then quoting scripture to people. <laughs> you know, guys like that, I really admire people like that. You know, Jerry Clower is a famous comedian who was uh, from when I was a child and he told lots of stories about life in Louisiana and the South. And he played for Mississippi State University back in the 50s. And he was telling this story about this, this one football player who played for Baylor that was famous for quoting scripture out there on the football field. I always wished I could quote scripture so I could do things like that. I really do. But I just can't memorize scripture. But apparently with Jerry Clower, he said he got lined up across from this linebacker who was famous for quoting scripture on the football field. And he said this guy plowed into him and buried him, just buried him. And he said he was getting up off the ground and he's spitting mud and dirt out of his mouth. And he, he's trying to get his vision back. And he sees this guy standing over him going, the meek will inherit the earth. So you can use scripture, <laughs> memorization, 
that way if you want to, but you don't always want to. Better to understand the heart and mind behind the passages. Understand, that's why we did B90, because we wanted to get the big picture. We wanted to understand God's priorities. We wanted to understand God's prerogative and, and to kind of see the, the, the way God intends for things to be and how we can join God in what God is doing. And that, that's, that's what is far better for you than memorization of scripture. But I'm not recommending that you don't memorize scripture. I'm just saying, if you're like me, and that doesn't come easily, it's okay. Apparently it's been okay for me and Reverend Don over here. So I think we're okay, right? But if you can do that, great. More power to you. Memorize it, but also keep it in context because there's nothing like, like people who you know fire off a verse like they're shooting bullets or something. Those are de definitely not the best way to do it. But another thing you can do kind of like some of us did with B90 is you can listen to scripture and you can listen to it and then, you know, kind of play back your favorites, you know, create a playlist of favorite scriptures and then hearing them over and over again will help you to, to internalize them. So I really would urge you to do that. We are so well equipped to do things like that now. I mean, we all have these smartphones, you know, that we can do all these things with, right? And there you go. It, it's, it's just a simple simple way to get where you want to be. And right along with that, I, I, like, I like scripture memory music. Um, years ago, one of my churches was doing uh, something called Way Down Workshop, and they had these, these uh, CDs of walking in the word. And, you know, it was designed to keep your pace up so you keep your heart rate up. And these songs were so catchy. And, and I memorized all kinds of scripture listening to these. And... Uh, you know, like a lot of weight loss products, you can find those online for dirt cheap. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they're right there with the exercise bikes that we used to hang our clothes on and stuff, right? But I found on Spotify a whole playlist of scripture memory music. And it's even divided up into, like, if you want to listen to words of encouragement when you're afraid, you know, or if you want to listen to words of encouragement when you're seeking a deeper relationship with the Lord. So they've even categorized it, but I put that Spotify link on my sermon notes. So you can, by the way, if you have the app, you can just click through that link on the sermon notes and, and go right to it. But, but these are great ways to memorize scripture and to internalize the word of God. And so I'm giving you these practical applications because they work. They work for me. They work for me. I'm not good at capturing, you know, specific verses and specific references and shooting them at you out of my, my scripture gun. And yet I can always figure out how to remember some spoken or sung verse just when I need it. It happens all the time, you know. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I have no idea where I got that, but it's here, it's stuck in my head, because we learn by singing and repeating things when we're little kids, and it still works when we're adults with little kid minds. So I recommend that to you. Learn scripture, listen to scripture, Know the sound of your master's voice. 
because you never know when you're going to be in a cloud bank and in deep trouble. And you need to hear a very clear direction and know that it's trustworthy and true. And then just as a final recommendation, you know, people keep prayer journals. We've talked about that. Some people keep scripture study or Bible study journals and all of that's very worthwhile. But, you know, keeping a sort of mental record at least of how many times you needed to hear God's voice and you heard it. You know, when you recognize that God gave you direction. Because here is a faith-building exercise. You know, I, I don't know about you, but there are certain times in my life when I make a leap of faith. When I step out into the abyss, trusting the Lord, and then when he saves me, I now have at least one reference that I can turn to that's a tangible expression of God's faithfulness. In other words, when you've learned to recognize God's voice, take time to think about how you recognized it, what he said, how it changed the way your day was going. And then when you remember that, you begin to get more and more familiar with God's voice and you do things differently because you're hearing and listening for the word of the Lord. So the last thing I want to challenge you with is that you know, we're at a place in the life of Shiloh Church where we've taken bold steps to really identify ourselves as Bible-believing people, committed to family, committed to community, and the only thing we're missing is new believers. You know, I, I could tell you, and again, Don, I don't mean to keep singling you out, but there's something you and I can identify. We probably have talked about it over coffee many times, but there's nothing that breaks your heart than when, like when you do that annual reporting you know, where you write down how many baptisms you had this year, how many professions of faith you had this year. And it's so disheartening to think that we worked so hard all year long, doing the Lord's will, growing the body, making disciples and being disciples. And we, we've worked so hard towards that end, but we can't just seem to get to that point where people are being baptized, where people are being you know, making these professions of faith. And so I want to challenge us that in the next year, as we step out in this new sort of revised version of ourselves and revived version of ourselves, that we really make it our goal that by this time next year, we've seen professions of faith, that we've seen baptisms, that we have figured out how to lead people into a relationship with Christ. And I'm going to tell you right now that you know how to do it. It's not an evangelism program. It's not a script that you memorize. It's not a package that you buy. It's nothing that we're going to take a class on or anything. You know how to lead people to Christ. And the most important thing you can do is be doers of God's word. Live it. Live it. If you live it, the people around you will notice. You know, that's a funny thing. I was fishing yesterday with my good friend, Eric, another pastor from Sullivan County, and a young man who joined us for the afternoon. And the three of us are sitting in the boat and we're not having much luck. And then finally, one of us hits, man, and big old crappie comes out. And we're just excited because we just caught this beautiful crappie. And the two guys who hadn't caught anything yet both looked at the one who did and said, what'd you do? What do you got on your line? I mean, like, we're desperate, right? We're desperate. What worked? Anybody want to lose weight? You know anybody who's lost weight lately? 
Have you asked them yet? You know you have. What'd you do? How'd you do it? And that's because when people succeed in areas we all wish we could succeed in, we're very eager to hear what they know that we don't know. The only reason that you haven't shared your faith with anybody lately is because you haven't exercised your faith or lived the word of God in a way that makes the people around you think that maybe you got something they need that they don't have. You got the bait that catches the fish. Really, it's that simple. I'm not saying it's easy, okay, but I'm saying it's that simple. That, that what will bring more people to Christ is Christians who can't live without him and somehow they're living with him doing life God's way looks like a better way. What makes it a better way? Only you can say for sure. But maybe it's that voice you needed to hear that came exactly when you needed it most. Maybe it's the hope that you feel even though the same news is on your TV that's on mine and it doesn't look good right now. There's a lot of ugliness in our world and there's a lot of things that seem like they could go real bad wrong anytime now. But you live in a different way. You have a joy that just doesn't make sense. You know, people thought the apostles were drunk. They thought Jesus' disciples were drunk because their happiness and their confidence and their joy was so inappropriate under the circumstances. When people see you thriving and surviving and doing more better and being more every day because of this spirit that lives in you that is Christ, when they see the indwelling Christ in you, they're meeting Christ. We're always trying to bring people to Christ. We're always trying to figure out how to introduce them to Christ. And what we've got to realize is when they meet us, they meet him. If he's indwelling us, if we're letting him be the voice and the movement coming from within expressed outward. We can all have the opportunity to teach people about Jesus and introduce them to Jesus when we let him express himself in and through us. And all we have to do is get out of the way. When everybody else sees a stormy sea and Jesus sees an angry spirit and tells it to shut up, <laughs> it's a different perspective but it's knowing who has the power and the authority over all creation. The one who is within you or the one that you call upon his name, but you still do everything your way. You know, a lot of us pray that we could be within God's will, but what we're really asking is for God to bless our will. And when you start just living as though you're joining God and whatever he happens to be doing, in you, through you, and around you, that's when people will start asking you, what are you using? What are you on? <laughs> How'd you do that? And then you can tell them. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Please burn it upon our hearts and change our nature so that we can more boldly proclaim you and glorify you in all that we do. 
Amen.